Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another. Welcome our visitors today. Thank you. You may be seated. 
If you are visiting with us today, let me say it's a joy and a thrill to have you with us. And if you received a little gas packet a while ago on the inside, there is a card in there that we would appreciate so much. If you just take it out, fill it in, and then drop an offering plate in just a moment, we'd like to send you some information this week about the church. But we're glad that you're here today. Appreciate all of you being here. And those that are visiting, we're so thrilled. Good to have Bill and Cindy back with us this morning and others. Appreciate all of you being in the services. As you know, this is a fifth Sunday, and all of our fifth Sundays have been dedicated to our building fund, and we've been challenging you and asking you to pray about special gifts today, and I know you've all been excited, and you couldn't wait to be here on the fifth Sunday to give at least a double tithe, amen? Several of you said amen. That's encouraging, amen. But uh, we're excited about it. It's been a great year. We thank the Lord for this year. And uh, I cannot praise him enough for all the things that he's done. We're excited about the coming year. And one of our prayers and goals is that by the fall of next year, we can break ground on the new auditorium. But I want you to pray about your giving today. And what we challenge you to do is to double your tithe on this particular Sunday. We're in process of buying four additional lots. We've already bought one. We're buying four more. Began the paperwork on it this week. And still praying for about two, three more, maybe four more. And we'll find out as more as we go along. But uh, the first $100,000 we've raised have been set aside for the building. The second $100,000 that we are raising is going toward the purchase of new property and paving that property for parking. The building we're putting up, code requires to have at least 460 parking spaces. We have 261. We'll be losing 43 with the new building. So we've got to more than double what we're going to have. So that's why we're having to buy all the property we can and doing all these kind of things. This offering today goes toward the purchase of that new uh, of the property that we're needing. All of it's a part of the building. Just putting the building up is just one thing. Got to have all the parking, landscaping, everything that goes along with that. So there's a lot of things involved in it. So all the money we're raising, we're just kind of raising them in $100,000 increments. First 100000 said has already been put aside in a money market account drawing interest. The second will go toward the buying the property, and, uh, and then we'll start paving uh, sections immediately. Then the next 100000 goes into the building fund. The next 100000 more property, more parking. So over the course of time and through the construction time, We'll all we'll get it all together. It'll all work out. So I want you to pray about your giving today. And I have been encouraged already at people's giving. Uh, Deacon said to me the other day that, that he was going to double his tithe this year. And I, I appreciate that kind of spirit, that kind of attitude. It is that kind of spirit and that kind of attitude that will enable us to get this done. Amen. So I want to thank you for your giving in the past. But as we move into a new year, challenge you with new goals and our first goal was to raise $100,000 over five months. We have done that. Uh, we're just a couple of thousand dollars short of that. I think at 99 something is what we have in the building fund, uh, counting last Sunday's offering. And uh, so we've reached our goal of $100,000 for the first five months. What we need to do to reach our goal now over the next two years is we need to raise $100,000 every four months. So that means everybody's got to give. So I want to challenge you to do three things in your giving. I know what you're thinking. That's all he ever talks about is giving. Jesus taught more about giving than anything, so I feel like I'm in pretty good company to talk about giving. Amen? amen. Say amen. amen. Don't dry up over now, or I'll really skin high in a little while. But three things I want to challenge you to do in the coming year. One, 
to be faithful in your regular giving every week, your tithe and your offerings. Be faithful to the Lord every week. If you tithe weekly, be faithful. If you tithe every two weeks, be faithful. If you tithe once a month, however you do it, just be faithful in your weekly giving. And the second of all, I want to challenge you to give something over and above your tithes and your offerings to the building fund. I've been doing that long before we ever put it or presented it to the church, giving certain amount every week that I put into the building fund. Let me challenge you to do that. Many of you are doing that. That's one of the reasons we've reached our goal over the first five months is that many of you are giving something over and above your tithe and offerings every week and you're designating, designating it to the building fund. Let me challenge you to do that. And then the third thing I challenge you about is every once in a while to make a special contribution to the uh, building fund. And I guess the word investment would be the best way to put it. Make a special investment in the building fund because what you're doing when you give to the work of God, you're making a heavenly investment. Amen? And so I want you, in the field Sundays are good days for you to do that. But I want you to feel free to give anytime you want to. Every Sunday, uh, some said, I gave last week. That's fine. Some said, I'm going to give next week. That's fine. It doesn't matter when you give uh, as long as you do give. So let me challenge you to do that. And then many are doing things. Like someone gave me, Vivian gave me this this morning from the fifth, fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade girls. Uh, they give us $61 this morning. That's from uh, children in the class. I think they deserve a good hand. Uh, if children can do that, then we can do that. And they also said, the girls said they were challenging every Sunday school class to double that. I think another class told me they're giving a special gift today. And uh, so uh, all of these little things, these are little things, but they go a long way. How many of you have a little jar at home where you just, when you come in, you take your pocket change out and just throw it into a jar? You do that? Well, I've got a little vase sitting on the dresser. And whenever I come in, if I've got any pocket change, I usually... I throw that change over in that thing. So the other day I was, uh, we was doing some work in the bedroom, and so I had that big jar, and it was full, and I got it all out, got me some of these little paper rollers, and uh, spread it all out, and I rolled all that money. And I never would have thought, but I had over 70-some dollars of change in just a little old thing like that. And I thought, it just seems like so little, but then it all begins to add up. And, in fact, I'm going to give that to the building fund, not today, but I'm going to wait till I save up $1,000 in pennies, and then I'm going to bring it, put it in the offering plate one Sunday. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's amazing how every little bit adds up over time. Amen? So as we move into the new year, these are our new goals, and uh, we're excited about everything and want you to give. But your offering today goes toward the building fund. So let me challenge you to give sacrificially today. I'm doing that, and I know the Lord will bless that. You do that. Learn the joy of giving. As we shared with you last Sunday, we had just a little clip uh, of the new building. We're going to share that with you again in the offering. This is not the colors on the inside, so I want you to know that uh, the colors on this little clip, little media clip uh, that our uh, company that we've hired has uh, prepared for us uh, has like purple pews and gold carpet. We're going to go with gold pews and purple carpet. So they got it backward, amen. <laughs> But uh, this is not the colors on the inside. But what this does, it gives you kind of an idea of what the interior, the layout is as far as the auditorium itself is concerned. You kind of get an idea. Obviously, there's a lot of features in there that are not on the on little media clip uh, that they couldn't put in there that will be in the new building. But basically, this gives you a general idea of what it will be like. So we'll share that with you while we receive the offering this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all you're doing. 
And we thank you for special days like this of giving. Father, I learned a long time ago that giving is one of the most releasing things in a believer's life that can occur. Father, I ask you, Lord, to be Lord of our lives. And when you're Lord of our lives, you'll even be Lord of our money. So as we come today, we're thrilled that we can give to you and not only give to you, but to give to the cause for which it has been given. Lord, you know our motives and all that is happening and all that we're doing. It's, Lord, just to be able to do more for you and to expand our abilities to do more for you. So, Father, this is your work. It's where you have led us. It's where you are guiding us, and so we know you provide. And you use your people to provide. So we ask you to bless the offering today. Provide enough, Lord, be able to get the property and take care of all that. Thank you for every sacrificial gift that is going to be made, for every sacrificial gift that has been made, and for all that you'll do for us in the coming year. Again, bless the offering. May it glorify you. May you be glorified with each individual gift. In Jesus' name, amen.
I can see him on that cross, his eyes of love. Just looking down on all who stood and watched his shame. And as they mocked him and they scourged him, God turned his eyes away. While high and lifted up, Christ took the blame. High and lifted up, a loving Savior. High and lifted up for all to see. Reconciling God and man forever. I am lifted up on I'll surely come again That wherever I may be You will be near So I'm looking towards the heavens Up to the eastern sky Where I am lifted up
Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6. The book of Judges, chapter 6. And I want us to look at another question in the Bible. Several weeks ago, I began sharing with you questions. We began looking at questions in the Bible. And when I began, I only planned on looking at about six of them. But I have enjoyed them so much that I've extended that. Actually, today is the 12th question that we have looked at from the Bible. But as I thought about the new year and coming to the end of this year, I thought about several questions. But my heart settled on this one question. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of His Word. And we'll look at the question. And then we'll draw some thoughts from it today that I believe the Lord wants to use in our heart. The question is found in Judges 6 and verse 13. It's actually two questions. We'll look at both of them in the message today. But there's one in particular that I want us to look at. And that is the question, where be all his miracles? Now look at Judges 6 and verse 13. The Bible said, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befalling us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Now notice the question in the middle of verse 13, Where be all his miracles? Thank you. you may be seated. We're going to look at that question today. And we'll share with you a few things from God's Word. Let's pray. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And because of who You are, we want to lift You up in our lives. We pray, Lord, that You would always be exalted. You would always be the center of everything we do here at Temple Baptist Church. And Lord, may you be the center of everything that I do and say when I stand in this pulpit and share your word. We want you to be lifted up. Unto you be glory in the church. Now, Father, as we come this morning, as we conclude one year and begin a new year, I ask you, Lord, that you'll give us a word, Lord, that we'll, you'll use in our lives for the coming days. Father, I pray today that you'll meet with us and I pray that you'll talk to us. And I pray that you'll get our attention. Meet us at our greatest need. Confront us, Lord, where we need to be confronted. Draw us to you through your word today. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it is in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask these things. Amen. I once read about a preacher that got pulled over by a highway patrolman. And when the highway patrolman walked up to his car, he detected the smell of alcohol he looked down at the preacher and he said sir have you been drinking he said oh no I don't he said I've not been drinking I'm a preacher I don't drink and the highway patrolman noticed that it was a thermos sitting on the seat beside him and he said what's in that thermos he said oh officer that's water he said would you mind if I just check it please and he said no I wouldn't mind at all so the man the preacher handed the officer the thermos he took the cap off and he smelled it and then he looked back down at the preacher and he said, Sir, this is not water, this is wine. The preacher shouted, Well, glory to God, he's done it again. Amen? 
I'd like to see him do it again. Well, I want, at the very beginning today, I want to go on record and say that the Lord can turn the water into wine. And at the very beginning, I want to remind you that the Lord is in the miracle business. As we saw last week when we looked at the question asked by the Virgin Mary, how can this be seeing I know not a man? We were reminded that the Lord can do that which we may think is impossible. I love Ephesians 3 and verse 20 where the Bible said, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Our God is certainly able. I think of something that Ron Dunn said in his little book called Faith Crises, and I want you to listen to this. I love this statement. He introduced one chapter in his book this way. He said, I have good news for you. There is nothing wrong with you that a miracle couldn't cure. I like that. I believe today that many believers are needing a miracle in their life. And it may be that there are some sitting here today you need a miracle in your life. Well, I want to remind you once again that the Lord is in the miracle business. I think about how on one occasion Jesus and his disciples passed a fig tree that was full of leaves, but it had no fruit. And you know the story how Jesus cursed the fig tree, and he did so to demonstrate and illustrate a point about hypocrisy. You see, a fig tree full of leaves, leaves on a fig tree, would indicate there was fruit on that tree. From a distance, it was covered with leaves, and you would think it was fruitful. But as they drew near, they found that there was leaves but no fruit. It's like it appeared to be one thing, but it really wasn't what it appeared to be. So Jesus cursed it to demonstrate uh, the folly of hypocrisy in our life. But anyway, the next day, the disciples and the Lord Jesus passed that fig tree again, and it had withered to its roots. And when Peter saw that, he said, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. It astounded Peter that overnight this fig tree had completely dried up. But this is what Jesus said to him. He didn't say anything about the fig tree withering, but he answered this way. He said, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. This is what Jesus was saying to Peter. He said, Peter, you're surprised at the withering of a fig tree, but that's nothing compared to what I can do in your life if you'll just have faith in me. You know what he was saying is have faith in me. Instead of fig trees drying up, I can move mountains and cast them into the sea. You see, there are many believers that are astounded at fig trees withering when they could be seeing mountains being moved in their life if they would have faith in God. It's like Jesus said in Mark 9, 23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. But there is a God. God is able to do miracles. As John Calvin said, Faith brings a man empty to God that he might be filled with the blessings of Christ. But what do I mean when I talk about miracles? What am I talking about today when I talk about miracles in our life as a believer? Again, I give you a definition that Ron Dunn gave in his book, Faith Christ, and I like this. He said that a miracle is God doing only what God can do. It is a happening beyond man's power to produce or prevent. 
It is God moving that which cannot be moved. It is God building that which cannot be built and destroying that which cannot be destroyed. That's a miracle. Do you need a miracle in your life? Would you like to see a miracle in your life today? Well, as we continue looking at questions in the Bible, I want us to look at the question that Gideon, Gideon asked in Judges 6.13, where be all his miracles? Are you with me now? Follow me in the Bible. And three things I want to point out to you. The first thing that I want you to notice is this. I want you to think with me about Gideon's consternation. I want you to notice Gideon's consternation. And you notice in verse 11 of our text, we're introduced to Gideon. And when we're introduced to Gideon, we find him, Gideon, the Bible said in verse 11, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, when we first meet Gideon, we find a man that is filled with hesitation and a man that is filled with hopelessness. Hopelessness and set, and that man set against a backdrop that is distressing and a backdrop that is depressing. Now, notice with me the scene that is presented in the context of our question. Notice with me, first of all, where Gideon was found. You see Gideon hiding in a wine press. Verse 11 says they was threshing wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, to understand why Gideon was hiding, You've got to understand the conditions that existed in those days. You notice in verse 1 of chapter 6, the Bible said in verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian, and hand of Midian seven years. Now Israel had sinned against God by turning from the true God. And they had turned from the true God and began worshiping the gods of Baal and Asheroth and other despicable deities. And the result was the chastening hand of God was upon them. Instead of God preserving them, he allowed the Midianites to overrun them and to overtake them. Now, the Midianites were a very brutal people. The Midianites were a very cruel people. I want you to listen to a description of the Midianites that was given by Philip Keller in his book on Gideon. He said, like a massive swarm of locusts, the Midianites moved relentlessly across Palestine. Being the first people to domesticate the desert camel, they enjoyed enormous advantage in military mobility. Their hooved hordes roamed and raided relentlessly throughout the eastern outposts of Transjordan to the Mediterranean littoral. No corner of the country escaped their rapacious ruin. Proud, arrogant, hawk-like warriors, they gloated in their fierce freedom. Their sharp and shining spears were notoriously vicious. They drew blood with a grin, took slaves with impunity, and left behind a landscape reddened with blood and blackened by fire. Again, the Midianites were a very brutal people, a very, very wicked people. And the Midianites left Israel crushed and mangled. Verse 2 says, notice verse 2, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. It goes on to describe how conditions were so bad that the children of Israel hid out in the mountains and they hid in caves. It describes how the Midianites stole their flocks and destroyed their crops. Verse 6 sums it all up. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Now that's why you find Gideon hiding in a wine press threshing wheat. Somewhere Gideon had been able to find a small measure of grain and he crawled down into a wine press to thresh it. 
And he crawled down in there to hide from the Midianites so that they would not steal what little grain he had and whatever may have been involved. But you find these conditions that existed where he was found. And they're a stern reminder that when we turn our back on God, there is always a heavy price to pay. Amen? As the Bible said in Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son, every son whom he receiveth. You remember this one thing. You're saved. You know Christ. You turn your back on God. You can always mark it down somewhere there will be a woodshed experience for you. But that's where Gideon was found. But I want you to look at the second thing, and that's what Gideon was feeling. Not only where he was found, but I want you to look in verse 13 and notice how Gideon was feeling. How Gideon felt can be summed up in the words, but now the Lord hath forsaken us. Gideon was feeling as if God had abandoned them. Gideon was feeling as if God had forsaken them. Now, he either failed to recognize or to admit that the conditions, the existing conditions, had been brought on the people by the people themselves. But in either case, whatever the case, Gideon felt that God had abandoned him and his people and that God had forsaken them. Now, the truth was known in all honesty. We all, at some time or another, have felt like God had abandoned us. And there, every one of us, and I include myself, there have been times in our life when we felt abandoned and forsaken by God. How many times, like the psalmist, in Psalm 13, 1, have we said, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? And how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? There have been times in all of our lives when we felt like God had forgotten us. And there have been times when we felt like God had forsaken us. And it may be that there's some in this place today that you're facing a situation in your life that is challenging to your faith. And you have prayed and you've asked God to take care of the situation. But yet it seems that God has done nothing and there's no indication that he's going to do anything. It's almost like God has forgotten you. It is almost like God has abandoned you and forsaken you. It may be that somebody here today has a need in your life. You have claimed the promises of God. You have asked God to meet that need in your life, but yet that need remains unmet. It may be that for some of you, that around you the circumstances are dark and they're stormy. And even worse, it seems like the Lord has just walked off and left you to fend for yourself. That's how Gideon was feeling. God has forsaken me. But look in verse 13. You'll notice there, there's actually two questions that Gideon asked. I want you to look at the first question. Question number one is this. If the Lord be with us, why then is all this befalling us? He says to the Lord, Lord, if you're with us, then why is all these things happen to us? Now, have you not ever felt that way before? Has there not been times in your life that you have felt that way? Have we not all at some time or another said, why? Gideon said, Lord, Why? Is all these things befalling us? I remember a number of years ago preaching the funeral of a man that died of cancer. And I remember in the funeral home, his daughter walked up to me, a daughter that was struggling with both the cancer and the death of her father. And with tear-filled eyes, she looked at me and she said, I asked God to heal my daddy. Why didn't God heal my daddy? I asked him to. Preacher, why didn't God heal my daddy? I remember in the of God, I believe God's word that he would bring my wife back to me and he would put my home back together. I took him at his word, but God didn't honor my faith. Preacher, why didn't God keep his word? 
You see, I could go on and on. We've all at one time or another asked the question, why? And oftentimes when we ask why, we reason ourselves and we say, if the Lord had been with me, then this would not have happened in my life. Or if the Lord had been with me, then this would have happened in my life. We wonder sometimes why. That's the first question. But look at the second question, which is the focus of the message today. And the second question is this, where be all his miracles? Now again, it may be there's somebody here today, you're asking, where is the miracles of God? You may be like Gideon, you're asking and saying, where be all his miracles? The preacher tells me that God is in the miracle business. I need a miracle, but yet no miracle has come my way. The Bible says that with the Lord nothing is impossible, and I have faith in him, I am believing him, I have believed in him, that he'll move mountains for me, but yet my mountain remains. We've all been that way. And we wonder sometimes, Lord, where is your miracles? And we think to ourselves, if the Lord was with me, then God would meet my needs. If God was with me, then he would solve my problems. If the Lord was with me, then he would answer my prayer. If the Lord was with me, he would work in my situations. We say, Lord, where is your miracles? Are you feeling like Gideon today? Are you struggling with the same issues that Gideon struggled with? Lord, if you're with us, then why has all these things befalling us? Lord, if you are with us, then where be all your miracles? But what Gideon didn't realize was that a miracle was in the making. And that may be true for you today. You may be here saying, where is his miracles? And you may be on the verge of a miracle in your life. Amen? Look at the second thing. Are you still with me now? There's Gideon's consternation. But look at the second thing. Not only Gideon's consternation, but look at Gideon's revelation. Notice in verse 6, Judges 6, the Bible said, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Someone has said, When it's the darkest, pray the hardest. Well, that's what they did. That's their history. They'd get away from God, come back to God. Get away from God, come back to God. And now we find them crying unto the Lord. And when the children of Israel began to pray then things begin to happen. Verse 8 tells us that the Lord sent a prophet on the children of Israel. When they began to pray, God sent a prophet. God sent them a word. But in Gideon's case, he did more than send a prophet. The Lord paid Gideon a personal visit. For we read in verse 11, and there came an angel of the Lord. Underscore that statement, the angel of the Lord. You find that expression in verse 12. In verse 11, you find in verse 11, verse 12, you find in verse 21, and twice in verse 22. And you also find the expression, the angel of God. Now, I want you to understand something this morning. This was not just any angel that appeared to Gideon. Whenever you find the description, the angel of the Lord, it is always speaking of the Lord himself. It is what Bible scholars call a pre-theophic appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, back in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus would appear in various forms. And you have him in Judges 6 appearing as an angel of the Lord. Now look at the word angel for a moment. The word angel means messenger. Like we talk about an evangelist. If you'll think about the word evangelist, has the word angel as angelist. That is, an evangelist is someone that bears a message, is a messenger from God. 
And the word Lord there, you notice in capitals in all capital letters, is the name Jehovah, which speaks of the covenant God. So when you talk about Jesus appearing as the angel of the Lord, you're talking about him coming, the message from a God that, that makes a covenant. Or in other words, he's coming with a message from God for a people or for an individual. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he was coming with a wonderful message. And he was coming with a promise to God, from God to Gideon. Look at the angel of the Lord for just a moment. For one thing, notice the angel of the Lord sitting. You see the angel of the Lord sitting. Look in verse 11. I love this. The Bible said there came an angel of the Lord and he sat under an oak which was in Ophrah. Now the Lord Jesus makes a special appearance. He comes as the messenger of Jehovah. He comes as the angel of the Lord. And where does he come? He comes to a place called Ophrah. Not Oprah. He didn't come to the Oprah Winfrey show. He comes to a place called Ophrah. And Ophrah means dusty or dry. To think of it, he could have come to the Oprah Winfrey show. Amen. But he comes to Ophrah. Ophrah, which means dusty or it means dry. This is the home place of Gideon. It was a more desolate region of Manasseh, an arid area northeast of Palestine, a very dry place. But where does the Lord come? He comes to a dry, dusty place. I'm glad, thank God, He comes to our, in our dry times, aren't you? In our dusty places, the Lord comes. But what does He do? He sits down under an oak tree and he watches Gideon hiding in the wine press, threshing wheat. And Gideon is not even aware that he has a heavenly visitor. Now, is it not true there are times in our lives when we feel the Lord has forsaken us? And we feel like God is nowhere to be found and God is nowhere around us. We feel abandoned of God, forsaken of God, forgotten of God. But all the time, he's under the oak tree. I want to remind you this morning, God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never abandons us. You may feel like God has left you, but I want you to look under the oak tree. He is always there. As the song said, he was there all the time. But he was sitting there watching Gideon. He was present. He was watching Gideon's activity. I'm glad he watches over our lives. And I can see old Gideon down in that wine press, just a big hole in the ground, and lined out to, in order to press the grapes. And he's down in there, and every once in a while, I can see him as he pokes his head up to see if anybody's watching, and back down he goes. But the Lord's sitting there watching him. And I imagine my mind, the Lord gets up, walks over, looks down in the wine press, and he speaks to Gideon. I'm sure he jumped about three foot off the ground when someone spoke. But he speaks to Gideon. He was watching Gideon. All the time the Lord was watching. Are you listening to me today? You may be in a situation where you need a miracle. You may be in a situation where you feel abandoned of God, but I want you to know He is near, and He's watching. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows the needs in your life. His eyes are upon His children. You believe that? I won the biographer of a Bishop Watts told him when he was a little child, was a young boy, he was in the house of an old woman who asked him to read a motto she had on the wall. And it contained the words of Hagar, Thou, God, seest me. And the old man said to Watts, he said, When you're older, my boy, people will tell you that God is always watching you, to watching, you watching to see you when you do wrong in order to punish you. 
I said, I don't want you to think of it that way, but I want you to take the text home and remember all of your life that God loves you so much that he can't take his eyes off of you. I'm glad he watches. Are you listening to me today? He is watching. He felt abandoned of God, but the Lord was there. He is present. But notice something else. You not only see the angel of the Lord sitting, but you hear the angel of the Lord speaking. Look in verse 12. And we read, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, Gideon, and said unto him. The angel of the Lord was not only present, but he came to Gideon with a word. He came to Gideon talking to him. I don't know about you, but how sweet it is when God has a word for my needy heart. And how special it is in those moments when God has a word just for me. And how special it is when God has a word for his child. It may be in a song. It may be in a sermon. It may be in your private devotions. It may be through a friend or acquaintance. But somewhere, God knows what you need, and he has a word just for you. He has a way of speaking to us when we're struggling with the whys of life. He has a way of coming to us and speaking to us when we're struggling with issues in our life. Is the Lord forsaken me? Is God going to do anything like that? He has a word. Thank God he knows how to speak to us. Amen? But here's the third and the final thing, and this is what I want you to get. You not only see Gideon's consternation, where he was found, how he was feeling, and his revelation, the angel of the Lord comes to him, but the third thing I want you to see is Gideon's transformation. Are you with me now? Are you with me this morning? Are you with me? Say amen. amen. I know it's cold outside, but don't have to be cold in here. Amen. Are you listening to me? I want you to get this. Gideon is asking about miracles. He is bemoaning the absence of miracles. Verse 13 seems to suggest that he had heard of miracles, but he'd never personally seen a miracle. For notice what he asked. He said, where be all his miracles? Notice, which our fathers told us of. Now Gideon had heard from the time he was a child, the old people talk about all the things God had done for Israel. Countless times, maybe night after night, he had heard his parents talk about how God had delivered them from Egypt and all the things God had done and the demonstrations of God's power. He had been told of miracles. He had heard about miracles. But it seems to suggest that he had never personally experienced a miracle. And the truth of the matter is many believers would fall in this category. Most believers, not all, believe that he's a mighty God and believe that he's a God with ability, and they don't doubt that. But it's whether or not you have seen a miracle or experienced a miracle. It's not just believing that he can do a miracle, but having actually seen a miracle. Maybe be like that. But Gideon brings up the matter of miracles. The Lord appears, and he brings up miracles. But I want you to see something exciting in what happened here. Instead of the Lord giving Gideon a miracle, instead of the Lord doing a miracle for Gideon, he tells Gideon, you are going to be the miracle. And the Lord says, Gideon, you want to know about miracles. You want to know, you want to see a miracle. Well, I'm going to do something even greater. I'm going to make you a miracle. Now, you listen to me this morning. It's exciting to think about what God can do. I believe that God is able. Do you? Yes. I believe there is nothing impossible with God. 
I believe that God can give us a miracle. But what is even more exciting and what is even more thrilling is the Lord making us the miracle. Now let me explain what I'm talking about. I want you to think with me first of all about what the Lord can do in us. Look at verse 12. Notice how the Lord addressed Gideon in verse 12. Look at this. He comes to Gideon and he says, The Lord is with thee. Wonderful. But notice, the Lord is with thee who? Thou mighty man of valor. Now you stop for just a moment and think about that. Gideon, a mighty man of valor? What is a mighty man of valor? That would be the same thing as you and me calling someone a gallant general. Gideon, a gallant general? He's down in a wine press hiding for goodness sake. I mean, he's everything but a man of valor. He's everything but a gallant general. But I want you to get this. When the Lord called Gideon a mighty man of valor, it was not because he was a mighty man of valor. It was not because of what Gideon was but it was because of what God was going to make out of Gideon. It was not God looking at Gideon in the present. It was God looking at Gideon in the future. He was anything and everything but a mighty man of valor, but God was going to make Gideon a mighty man of valor. Now listen to me this morning. There are many people in this room today that are wanting a miracle. There are many people in this room today that need a miracle. And you're asking God for a miracle. But it may be that God's more interested in making you the miracle than actually giving you a miracle. You see, God wants to transform us, transform us from hiders in a wine press to victors on a battlefield. He wants to lift us from victim status to victor status. He wants to move us from being meager Christians into mighty Christians. He wants to change us from gropers to generals. He can do a miracle, but he's more interested in making me a miracle. And he's more interested in making you a miracle than doing miracles. God can take a Jacob, a cheat, a schemer, and a con artist and make him a prince that has power with God. He can take a Simon, an unstable, crumbling one, and make him Petra, the rock. He can take Saul, a murderer, and turn him into Paul, a minister. God can take somebody and make a miracle out of their life. Now, the truth of the matter is, we're all miracles of God's saving grace. John Peterson was right when he said, My Father is omnipotent, and that you can't deny. A God of mighty miracles, tis written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. We're all miracles of God's saving grace. Amen? Amen. But I want you to listen to me. The miracle should not stop with you just being saved. There is the matter of God, what he can do in your life. God changing us from the inside out. God molding us and God shaping us and God making us something for his honor and glory. Vance Havner wrote one of his, said in one of his books that many people are crying, where is the Lord God of Elijah? When they ought to be asking, where is the Elijahs of the Lord God? You see, God wants to make us Elijahs. He is the Lord God, but he wants to make us Elijahs. He wants us to make, make us a miracle. He can do miracles. 
But the thing he wants to do is to take my life and work on me and work in me and change me and mold me and conform me to the image of his son so that I am a living, breathing miracle. I look around this building today. This room is a building full of potential miracles. I'm talking about every one of you. I'm talking about from the youngest to the oldest. I'm talking about potential miracles. And I'm talking about God doing something in me. We being everything but mighty men of valor. But yet God taking our lives and changing our lives and growing us in Christ and developing us and discipling us and maturing us and making us a living miracle. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Amen? That's what God can do in us. But look at this. There is what God can do through us. Look at verse 14. Look what the Lord said to Gideon. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Now Israel needed a miracle. They were, had been pillaged and plundered by the Midianites. They were crushed, broken, and mangled. They needed a miracle. But all of a sudden God tells Gideon, He's going to be that miracle. He tells Gideon that he's going to use Gideon to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. Now I can imagine that when the Lord called him a mighty man of valor, he was stunned. But I'm sure he had to sit down when the Lord said, you're going to be the one that's going to deliver them. And look at his response in verse 15. He said to him, oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Gideon says, me? Save Israel? Lord, what are you talking about? Lord, you know my family. We live up here in this arid section. It's our inheritance. It's dead. It's dry, and we barely have get by off the land. We're a poor family, and even more on top of that, Lord, I'm the youngest and the least most important member of my family. Me? Deliver Israel. Look at verse 16. The Lord said, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. What was the Lord saying to Gideon? He was saying, Gideon, I don't care where you live. I don't care if you are from up there on the hills, on the rocky place. I don't care if you are from a poor family. I don't care if you are the youngest in your family. Gideon, I'm not interested in your lot in life. I'm not interested in your position in life. Gideon, I want to take you and make you a miracle and do something great through your life. There's some of you here today. Listen to me today. We're closing out one year, getting ready for another year. A lot of things to do and a lot of things that can't happen. And God wants to use you and all that is going on. Do you believe that? But there may be some of you here today that say, but I can't be used of God. They might even someone say, buddy, it would be a miracle if God ever used me. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Are you listening to me? God wants to take you. I mean, God can do miracles in your life, but he wants to make you the miracle. He wants to transform your life. Make you into what he wants you to be and use you for his honor and glory. It's been a miracle. You can imagine, I can imagine, well, when I think of a Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball, when he walked into that Holton shoe store on 43 Court Street in Boston, Massachusetts, 
and led a 17-year-old boy named Dwight Lyman Moody to the Lord. He had no idea or anybody else for that reason that he had just led a prospective miracle to the Lord. He had no idea in the back room of that shoe store that he had just led a little teenage boy to the Lord that would one day be used of God to the salvation of literally thousands of people. He had no idea that he had led a teenage boy whose ministry would embrace the world and would mark one of the most effective, influential ministries in history. Even more than 100 years after Moody's death, his influence is still felt in this country. You go a few blocks right up here, WMBW, the Moody radio program. That which is a result of the ministry of D.L. Moody, his life still touches life. But what an unlikely candidate Moody was to be used of God in the fashion and the measure that he was. In fact, let me share with you a portion of a letter that Edward Kimball, the man that led him to the Lord, a portion of a letter that he wrote to someone, and he mentioned and he talked about Moody. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God is bestowed upon him, talking about Moody, that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he came into my Sunday school class. And when I think of the committee, and when I, when I think of the committee, and I think the committee at Mount Vernon of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to feel any extended sphere of public usefulness. Kimball, the very man that led Moody to Christ, said, I looked at him, he was the most unlikely candidate that I'd ever met to be used of God to touch a world. Well, that's what being a miracle's all about. That's what I'm talking about. God taking us. We're talking about God meeting needs around here. And we're talking about God providing and giving us this and doing this. I'll tell you what God is more interested in. He's more interested in buildings. He's interested in people. He's more interested in fundraising. He's interested in molding us and shaping us and making us the miracle and taking us and doing something for the glory of God. Do you need a miracle in your life today? Or better still, wouldn't you like to be a miracle? <laughs> wouldn't you like God to take you and to make you something for His honor and glory? I think about this closing year and we start a new year. I don't know of a greater thing. I don't know of a, more, a greater thing that we could do than to say, dear God, I need a miracle we as a church need a miracle. But God, I want you to make me a miracle. I want my life. Work in me, Lord. Transform me, transform me from a groper to a general. Transform me from a hider in a wine press to a victor on a battlefield. Transform me. Make me into what I ought to be. Make me a miracle. And Lord, use me for your honor and glory. Will you do that today? Let's stand to our feet. Will you let God make you a miracle? When we sing in just a moment, and we close out this, year, this old year, the last Sunday of 2001, won't you get up out of your seat today and come down here and say, I want God to work in me. 
I want God to work through me. I want God to make me a miracle. Maybe you need a miracle in your life. But it may be that until you become the miracle, you'll not see the miracle. But in either case, will you come today and say, God, I want you to make me a miracle? Young people here, throughout this year, thank God for the young men and young ladies that have given their life to the Lord and made Jesus Lord of their life. And they're seeking the will of God for their life and doing what God wants them to do. Many other young people all do the same thing. Come and say, I want to be a miracle. Make me a miracle over my high school. Make me a miracle down at the college. Make me a miracle. Change me. Use me for the honor and glory of God. Moms and dads, the same thing. Will you come today and let God make you a miracle? Say, Lord, I want you to work in me. I, I yield myself to you that you work in me, mold me, shape me, make me what I need to be. You may be here today and say, Preacher, I'm saved. I know it, but my life's in a mess. That's what the miracle is all about. It's God taking that messed up life of yours and changing it and making you something for His honor and glory. Say, Preacher, I'm saved, but I really, I, 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 I don't know that I could be used to God. Won't you come today? Let God make you a miracle. All across this country, and even this place today, people being used of God. In this place here, teaching Sunday school classes, working here and that other, the Lord found them in a wine press. Found me in a wine press, an unlikely candidate, but he can take us out of a wine press and turn us into mighty men of valor. He made miracles out of us. Will you let him make you a miracle today? I think about all those who go through faith. Many have won people to the Lord that months ago they thought, I could never go to anybody's house. I could never talk to anybody about the Lord. I could never and go out somewhere and, and, and tell people how to be saved. Oh, I could never do that. But now they're coming back and they're training other people how to do it. You know what it is? It is God making you a miracle. God changing you and growing you and developing you and making you a miracle. Will you let him make you a miracle today? We're going to sing in just a moment. I want you to come. If you're here today and you're unsaved, the greatest miracle that could ever happen to you is you to come and be saved. And I promise you today, by the authority of the Word of God, that Jesus Christ can save you today. He died on the cross that you might be saved, and we invite you to come today. And then there may be those that God is leading to become a part of our church. It's a great place to be, an exciting time to be a part of Temple Baptist. And we invite you to come. Just walk down to the front. We'll get the information we need from you. That's simple. You come today if God is leading you. But then this is my challenge to you as a body of believers. I want you to come today and say, God, make me the miracle. This church needs some miracles. People whose lives are transformed. And people that God can use in a miraculous way. Will you do that? Will you come today and kneel and say, God, I need a miracle. But I want to be a miracle. Father, this morning in Jesus' name. Father, find a Gideon today. Lift a Gideon out of his wine press. Lord, transform him today. Begin a work in his life that'll make him something or make them something special for the Lord. Lord, do something in us. Do something through us. Make us the miracles that this old generation needs. Father, work in us. Work in us by your grace. Work in us by your word. Work in us by your spirit. Work in us by your power. Mold our lives. Change our lives. Lord, help us to become overcomers and conquerors. Help us to grow and be more like you. Transform us. And then may we be a vessel in your hands to do your work. Make us the miracle 
and we'll bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.